0: Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590.
1: Hey, good morning, gardeners. Welcome to or welcome back to Gardening Naturally. Got asked a question about Bermuda grass before the break. and there's a Bermuda that is available by seed. It produces a good grass. It's um, very drought tolerant. It can recover from really poor conditions and it's a full sun grass. But Bermuda needs a certain temperature range. And it's usually like we want to be above 50. And the weather for this week alone, we're in the 40s. Yeah, at the end of the week, we bump above 50 again. But the the nighttime temperatures are going to be below 50. And Bermuda will not germinate well in those temperatures. So as we get closer to winter, there's less use of Bermuda because it just won't grow. Bermuda would be something that you could throw down in the spring when the temperatures start to warm up. The other problem with the grass right now is we've had no rain, and you would have to keep it moist to keep it going. In the spring, there's a good chance you could distribute it and get rain from the sky, I don't know where else rain comes from, water from the sky to be able to germinate it and get it growing. In Central Texas, if you are looking for green, for a longer period of time into the winter, remember, Soja, fescue, St. Augustine, Bermuda, they all go dormant in the cold weather. That means their roots are growing, but they're not making new leaves, so they look brown. Can you do anything about it? No, unless you want to put heat over your uh to keep it above certain temperatures. So our grasses, the ones that we use most that can handle the heat, go dormant in the fall. So we don't get green turf. There is a way to extend that time. And that's the use of overseeding with rye grass. You can distribute rye right now, and our temperatures are really pretty good. The rye should take off pretty quickly. That'll give you green. It can handle some pretty darn cold weather, but the nice thing is is it can't handle the heat. So if you sprinkle rye on top of your normal turf grass, and it starts growing in, it's particularly good for bare spots, it will be replaced in the summer when it gets really hot. It won't be able to manage it. So it's kind of like a transition grass. It'll give you longer green coverage. Now, that's great if you've got kids or pets. You don't have mud baths. But what's bad is it does require being mowed because it can get pretty shaggy if you don't. So it's a trade-off. All of it's a trade-off. You just get to pick what to do. But don't go getting Bermuda grass now. This is uh, not the right conditions, not the right temperatures to be planting Bermuda now. Let's go to the phone. This is Roger. Roger, what can I help you with?
2: Good morning, Jeff. Yeah, I'm making some yes. uh, succulent potting mix, and I uh, uh, cracked out a whole bunch of walnuts. And I'm wondering if, the, if I could use the shells in my potting mix or not.
3: Hmm.
1: You want to, well, there's a couple of things here. First off, you really want to break them down a little bit. You know, you don't want big chunks. Number two, there is a possibility, though very little, walnuts give off a chemical called juglone, which is an alleopath. That means it prevents seeds from germinating underneath the walnut tree. Pecans do this a little bit too, but nowhere near as bad. So I'm not sure if you grind these up and they're, you know, moderate-sized chunks, say quarter to three-eighths of an inch. I'm not sure if they will give off any juglone from the shell itself. If you want to take a chance with it, and you're putting in something that's already growing, that should make for a nice, nice potting mix, especially, uh, you know, for your agaves, for your cacti, and things like that. That would make for some pretty decent drainage. You may want to go lightly with it until you're comfortable knowing, yeah, this isn't causing you a problem
2: okay i'm just going to use it for my transplant mix then and see what happens with that yeah yeah right, right I, now i'm not i you know, know, so just, i want to start cactus from seeds but i know that time consuming and it's a little more difficult i don't have the right can, right containers or, or uh, places to do that at this moment in time but i am headed that direction
1: well um I know for a fact that the tree throws off that chemical. I can't guarantee that that chemical exists in the shell. So you may be perfectly clear for it. I would just keep that in the back of your mind before you go um, whole hog on it and really put in, you know, a ton of it. You want to kind of do some simple test results.
2: Well, I could also just go outside and put it, put it in my tumbler.
4: True. True. Well,
2: I just may end up doing that so I don't want to take a chance. I've been growing my cactus for quite a while, and I don't want to ruin anything. Got it. Def- definitely Got definitely it. appreciate the information, sir. You do well. Have a you, good day.
1: You, you too. Thanks for the call. Yeah, folks, um, you used to be able to go places and get pecan shells. There was a place down by New Braunfels sorry, doesn't come to mind and the San Saba area where you could go and pick up a bag of shells, which was weird, but they were happy to sell it to you because it was total waste to them. And you could mix, well, depending on how ground up it is, you could mix it with your potting mixes because it's organic matter and it, uh, will really make for great air gaps in the, in the soil, will increase the till. But I would only do that if you happen to have them available to you. Now, I've always heard that um, using pecan shells as a mulch prevented snails, they don't like crawling on it, and helped prevent the local cat from deciding to use your flower bed. Not sure how true those things are, but if you're interested and you can find a supplier for it, you may want to weigh what the cost is of the product and see if it works for you. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a quick break. I'll be right back.
0: This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512 836 0590.
1: Hey, folks, welcome back. Let's go to the phone. And
4: this is James. James, what can I help you with? Morning, Jeff. Uh, I'm calling with an asparagus question. Um, I finally got that bed weeded. It's, you know, it's 75 foot long and uh, I'm getting ready to uh, put the compost down around the, uh, I guess they call them crowns, where the asparagus grows. Do I need to put some uh, Medina growing green down first or... No. Um,
1: You know, you do you put it first? I don't think you need to. The compost is really what we want to see for the asparagus. If you get the compost down, um, you may do a light application of the growing green on top of it so that we slowly leach that down to the crown for it to grow up so that you have a, uh, you know, a good spring out of the asparagus. And you can see if, uh, you know, normally I, I don't hear them recommend uh, fertilizer after you put down the compost or even before it. So the compost can be enough to spur the crowns to grow. But I would use a, a careful dose. I wouldn't overdo it. You don't want it to suddenly be putting up spears when we're having freezing weather.
4: Okay. Um, because it didn't rain forever this this year, I lost uh, about ten foot of that bed. It just didn't get watered and um, it died. Is there any particular variety that you like better than, um, you know, that that you would recommend to get some crowns for?
1: Uh, No. Part of the thing is there are several varieties, but the local nursery crowns are going to be ones that can handle our soil. As we know, Texas is a terrible place to grow things, but... There are varieties that do best here. The purple ones generally don't do well, but that doesn't mean you couldn't try it. I don't have one that I would say this is the one that's better than others. We usually don't have a broad selection of different types of crowns available to us anyway. It's kind of we have crowns, and uh, this
4: is the only type we
1: have. Take it or leave it,
4: okay, And uh, when I put the uh, nature's creation compost down, I just put it around where the where the the, the crown of the plant is, where the the uh, majority of the plant grows, right?
1: Well, a crown can be twelve inches in diameter. Yeah. check all those roots that are running out. So if you want to do blobs of 12 inches as you go up and down that row, I would think that it would just be easier because as those roots reach out, the more root, the more spears, to just do um, like top dressing all the way down the row, not be so particular about where you put it.
4: Okay, I think I understand all right. Um, thanks for taking my call and answering my asparagus questions. <laughs>
1: you bet, James. Thanks for the call. Let's go to the phone. This is, oh, Susan, sorry, skipped you. Didn't see you there. What can I help yes.
5: you with? Well, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Uh, everybody says how wonderful you are. I'll add my voice to that. I certainly appreciate you. Uh, my question is an earthworm question. Um, I am a fairly new gardener. Uh, I have, this is my, going in my fourth winter. I like to put lettuces because I have a small garden in a subdivision. Um, what I'm, I'm finding is it's clay, clay, clay because it's right next to Slaughter Creek. And when I've dug down, uh, it looked like graves when I was first digging my beds. Um, but this is, like I said, the fourth year going, but I'm still, when I'm digging down as deeply as I can, I'm finding earthworms in this very dense clay soil. And I'm, you know, I don't want to hurt them. And if I see them, of course, then I, I, I put them uh, in a different place. Um, but I'm wondering if the mix that I'm uh, making as far as where I'm, uh, the soil where I'm uh, putting in these beds uh, is not, moist enough for these earthworms so i'm just wanted to ask and i um I'll, yeah that's all that's all i want to ask so i don't want to hurt any earthworms thank
1: you okay first off um there's more than one type of earthworm some are just on the surface of the soil i mean literally on top of the soil some are deeper some you know, can be really deep in the soil. And we want as many as we can. And it's one of those things. If you build it, they will come. So with it being in your garden and you're watering or it rains, that's more than enough water if they're staying there. So they're going to help break up that soil for you. And you're not going to hurt them. The one thing that will really, well, two things that will hurt an earthworm. One is accidentally cutting it in half. That's always a bad thing, okay? That earthworm's not going to make it. You don't get two worms when you cut them in half. Second, they can't stand sunlight. So if you dig them up and you move them and you move them to a place as pure sun, hmm, they're not going to be happy. At the very least, throw some leaves over where you put them so they're covered up. Sunlight will actually stun them. They don't want it. That's why they're digging in the soil. Um, Other than when you move them to protect them from the sun, there's not a lot you need to do. Just like everything else in the soil, they want organic matter. So every time you you know, pull plants out to harvest them or to get rid of them, make sure you put more compost back in that bed. doesn't have to be a whole bunch, but you should always be replacing, adding more organic matter after every season change, after every planting change. And that'll help, that'll definitely help the earthworms because that's, what they're eating they want to get rid of that organic matter
5: All right, uh, thank you. I just didn't know they could survive in this huge this very dense clay so it surprised me but yes I, I do put compost in every every season and I'm yeah. trying to dig deeper and deeper every year but um, I appreciate it thank you. I appreciate your answer
1: thanks for thanks for the call Susan and. Have faith in those earthworms. You'd be amazed at what they can dig through. Our soil is not the worst they've ever encountered, so they can uh, handle it just fine. Let's go to the phone. This is Cliff. Cliff, what can I help you with?
6: Hi, Jeff. Uh, Love your show. So I'm looking for a fruit, or wondering if you had a suggestion for a fruit or nut tree for the overstory meaning uh, 50 feet tall at maturity or taller. The only ones I've been able to come up with, I'm in Milam County, uh, about an hour and a half east of Austin, is the black walnuts. Uh, And you already mentioned in the show about the juglone thing and the pecan and the chestnut. Can you think of any other large overstory trees that would provide fruit or nuts besides those three that would do well in this part of the Texas not for
1: that height. A nut tree is going to be the answer if you're looking for something that tall. Um, even a really healthy, good for our area apple tree, a standard form tree, will only go to 20 to 25 feet. Mm-hmm. So the nuts are only ones you've got that are really going to handle being super tall.
6: And you can't really and, think of any others besides those three that I mentioned uh, off the top well, of your head.
1: No, well, you could try a hickory.
6: Hickory, okay.
1: One. It can be a tall tree. Black walnut, I would be amazed. It, well, you're living somewhere different. Um, are generally not doing great here in Central Texas. There are a few. Some folks have them, but they're not real happy here in Central Texas. They may do great where you are. And last, the chestnut. Um, I didn't know anybody is, is providing chestnuts. I thought we were still fighting off the disease to try to get the chestnut back. So if you can find one and they'll you know do well where you're at, I would be planting one of those simply because we need anyone that can survive to start growing. But I ain't got a long list for you. Sorry.
6: All right, Jeff. I appreciate your time, sir.
1: Thanks for the call, Cliff, folks. I got to take a quick break.
0: This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back
1: everybody. <clears throat> Let's go to the phone. This is Ginger. Ginger, what can I help you with?
3: Hi. Um, I live in comfort. I get a lot more freezes been uh, over there in Austin and I've got a little fig tree that I've been trying to grow up for like five years and it freezes back every winter. I cover it with leaves in a five gallon bucket and still it just doesn't grow enough in the summer to it, it only gets about a foot tall. and I'm wondering what else I can do and I'm wondering if um, maybe if I covered it with something darker so it would get more heat in the winter and uh, leave it covered. So, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm needing some advice on how to try to get this fig tree to do more than just stick up a foot tall every year.
1: Okay, Ginger, you've got – there may be absolutely nothing wrong here. Young fig trees, especially smaller ones, when we plant them, can spend several – winters freezing back to the ground. That is not at all unusual. I had one that took, I would say, at least six years, if not seven. Now, this is a, was a very small fig, and it was a one that was a little unique to our area. But it froze back to the ground every one of those years. And only last year was the first year where it didn't where I had stems that stayed above the ground and leaped out in the summer. So it took a really long time for it to develop a root structure that supported all of these new branches and kept them from freezing. You may not have a single problem, and this year may be the year it gets through, or uh, this spring it comes up and it grows, And you finally get a branch that's bigger than a foot. uh, You can make sure that it's composted every year. Not a thick layer,
4: uh,
1: but a decent layer of compost. Say maybe a good inch all around the tree. And you can, during the year, like once a month, apply seaweed solution. That will help promote lots of root growth, and more roots will promote more stems and stems that uh, will uh, actually last through a freeze. It could just be disappointment, and I get it. I really do. This one fig I have, is I'm so desperately waiting for a fig from it, but this is just their behavior sometimes. And you just have to have patience for them to start growing up.
3: Okay. So, <clears throat> is, should I not put? Should I put some compost now, or just wait till spring as far as compost? You know, you can do it both.
1: Okay, um, I'll put you some should, around
3: it. Put- and, and my question about um, covering it: should I just leave it covered up, totally dark all winter, or do I need to? just try to cover it when it's going to freeze, which is like several times a year.
1: Um, If it, you have to understand if your fig makes it, once your fig starts getting bigger and bigger, it's going to be out there in a freeze every year, multiple freezes per year. And you're going to have a problem of going, why, uh, how do I cover it? My fig was 30 feet tall and, uh, Forty feet wide, thirty-five feet wide. There's no way I was going to cover that, and I had branches that froze every year, and I just had to
3: trim them off. Right. Yes, you, I you... had. I lived in Niederwald, and I had a ginormous fig tree. I would get, you know, like a dozen gallons or more of figs every year, mm-hmm. and it froze back during the, that other freeze, but it came back. And but I'm not living there anymore. <laughs> uh, and I'm missing
1: my figs. <laughs> uh, I lost my producer. It, the freeze apocalypse killed it. And I am desperately missing my figs. I haven't had one in four years now, three years now. And I right. miss them. So patience is probably all you're going to need. It okay, will finally so overcome. Are you saying overcome. that I
3: don't, don't need to cover it? I don't think
1: so. You got to remember, even if you cover it, it's only giving you a few extra degrees. It's not a magical be-all, fix-all. You could still freeze underneath the cover.
3: Right. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll give it some a good uh, layer of compost and put some extra leaves around it and, and uh, leave. Leave it uncovered other than the leaves.
1: That, that'll that be just
3: fine for
1: it. I, I'm betting it's a patience issue. It will okay. finally go. I'm going to be a big tree now.
3: Okay, great. I will be patient then. And I really appreciate your show and your all your uh, advice. Thank you.
1: Thanks a lot for the call, Ginger. Good luck on it. Man, I miss my figs too. They were so tasty. Let's go to the phone. This is Debbie. Debbie, what can I help you with? Good morning. Um,
7: At our previous home, we had several dedicated asparagus beds, but now we've downsized and we're trying to find a place where we can plant our asparagus. We have one bed that has three small citrus trees in it. And I'm wondering if that would be compatible to put asparagus in there.
1: Hello? Will they basic will they basically get full sun all day long? Yes. That should Is work. That I don't know of I don't know of anything where asparagus and citrus are not a combination to put together. I don't know of that situation. We do have plants that will not grow together but that is not in the list that I've read. So if you've got room, you could do this. Just remember, if you get them too close to the citrus, you're not gonna be able to get in there to harvest the citrus. Yeah,
7: that's true. Um, The other thing is, so for really brutal winters, my husband built a little mini greenhouse over that bed. That where we will put a heat lamp in it when we have really bad weather, um, it, how would that affect the asparagus?
1: It probably wouldn't. It's not like okay. it's going to fake the asparagus out and make it produce spears at the wrong time of the year. It'll just make sure that the crowns don't freeze. And once the fronds freeze, you want to cut those back anyway. So that's probably not going to affect the asparagus.
7: Okay. And one more question, because really, at this point, we really have not had, we had a little tiny nip, but we haven't really had a hard freeze. So would you go ahead and cut the fronds back if if you had asparagus right now?
1: Are you betting that you will get a hard freeze? Yeah. (laughs) Then I, wait? then I would wait till then. <laughs> yeah, I would wait till it kills them because okay. it'll take out the fronds on its own and then you could cut them back. There's no okay. hurry to have to cut those back.
7: Okay. <clears throat> and how deep do we am- need to amend the soil in that bed for asparagus?
1: Um, as deep as you can. 12 inches okay. would be amazing. Eight inches is probably just fine because you want to bury the crowns about eight inches deep. Okay.
7: Okay, great. Thank you for your advice. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for the call, Debbie. Folks, I've got to take a quick break. I'll be right back.
0: This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512 836 0590.
1: Hey, welcome back, everybody. Excuse me. Um, We have good weather, and this is good garden weather, okay? We have mid-70s. That may actually be a touch warm. And our lows are mid-40s to 50s. Man, that is grow green stuff right now. Lots of green stuff. And we have plenty of blooming flowers right now. You can go and get alyssum and pansies and petunias and all kinds of plants that are blooming and doing wonderful in these conditions. My red bud's going a little nuts. It didn't put on new blooms, but it's suddenly putting on a whole bunch of new green leaves. Not sure what's going on there. That's not right. But my wafer ash, my maple, my big tooth, not my big tooth, my bur oak, excuse me. Um, they dropped all their leaves. Yeah, it's their time of the year to be naked. That's fine. And, you know, my flower beds, I can't emphasize this enough. My flower beds with flower heads, especially things like coneflower, provide a ton of seed for the birds, particularly the songbirds. It produces lots of seeds, and they will just pluck them out of it. And I'm glad for it. I think that the plant looks unique anyway with the seed head. I think there's a lot of what they call the architectural appearance of the garden, but that's one that looks great. I've got Texas sages. The birds just go nuts in. I will see lots and lots of the birds diving in and out of there, Like it's a battle. I don't know about the rest of you, but have you been checking your, uh, checking your, what are they, crepe myrtles? You know, normally my crepe myrtles will turn kind of orangey golden. I don't know what's up this year, but they are just this blood red color. They look so good as their leaves change. And I have uh, crepe myrtles on the west side of my property. So as the sun sets, the sun shines through these blood red plants, and they, uh, they just glow. They look so good. Now, I do have evergreen trees. I have the... Uh, Arizona blue cypress, they are the most, the cold weather has made them much more blue. They look fantastic. I also have what's called a be and I've heard it called a Sierra red oak and it has stayed fully leafed out so far. I guess it's possible to get cold enough for it to drop its leaves, but not normally. It will normally hang on to them. And new growth can be bright red in the springtime. My pear, my plums, holding on tight yet, they haven't dropped their leaves, kind of happy because The pear is kind of big, and it'll dump a ton of leaves on my property, but they'll look great. They will look great. My pear turns this butter yellow. My honey locusts turn this gorgeous yellow. My pomegranates are turning yellow. So it's not fair to say Texas doesn't have great fall color because because it does it has some truly amazing fall color and there's nothing better than when you get that fall color from a plant that produces fruit for you folks coming up the end of the hour here um have a great day today maybe you're gonna watch the game um I cheer for your team and uh, enjoy a really nice weekend.